The Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Licensure as a Professional Engineer, its value and the steps to take, a professional development seminar. Featuring Development Engineer for General Motors, Eric Fonville, an Operations Officer for the Naval Facilities Engineering Command, Mid-Atlantic, Commander Lakiva Gunderson. A professional engineer is a person who is licensed to practice engineering in a particular state or U.S. territory after meeting all the requirements of the law. This seminar will give you the information you need to obtain the professional licensure and an understanding of the responsibilities that must be fulfilled to keep it. Without further ado, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Licensure as a Professional Engineer, its value and the steps to take. Featuring Eric Fonville and Commander Lakiva Gunderson. Welcome, everyone. This is Bay of 2312, Licensed Professional Engineer. It's value and steps to take. Safety message. Okay, good to go. Um, this is the basic outline. The, do the introductions, subjects, what is a professional engineer, what makes a professional, how you become a licensed professional engineer, and why should you want to become one, most importantly? I want you to understand the reasons behind being in a professional engineer, the procedures for becoming it, and the registration process, which is most important. Responsibilities of maintaining a licensed professional engineer. It's not a one-time event, it's an ongoing practice. And the principles of standard care, which is what a professional engineer conducts himself by. I have my guest here, Commander McKeever Brooks Gunderson, North Carolina AT, North Carolina State University, member of the National Society of Professional Engineers. And I like this one. Operational Officer Marine Corps Installation Naval Facilities Command and Carolina Public Work Officer. Give her a big hand for joining me here. Thank you. This is me. <laughs> um, Eric Fonville, uh, University of Michigan, Bachelor uh, Science, member of the National Society of Professional Engineers. NSP Chapter Flint, Michigan, Young Engineer, Engineer of the Year, General Motors, Boss Carrying. I have 20 United States patents, and I'm also your 2020 uh, Bayer Research Leadership Award winner as well. I'm glad to be here uh, for this event. Uh, what is a professional engineer? This is important. A person who is licensed to practice engineering in a particular state or U.S. territory after meeting all requirements of law to practice in multiple states or territories, the PE must be licensed in each state in which he or she wishes to practice. Only a licensed engineer may prepare, sign, seal, submit documents, plans drawings to a public authority for approval or to seal an engineering work for public and private clients. He should be responsible for not only their work, but the work also of others, and, but it also for the lives affected by that work and must hold themselves to the high ethical standards of practice. Now, this gets a little tricky further on. How to become a professional engineer. You have to earn a four-year degree in engineering from an ABET accredited engineering <laughs> program. This is the typical method. The question came up earlier. Is an ABET accredited science program, mathematics program, will also be reviewed by the board and can be accepted. First step is to dealing with the funnels of engineering examination. That's the first part. You can take that actually before you graduate college. Shortly thereafter is the best time to take that. Four years of acceptable progressive and verifiable work experience in the industry that you plan on taking the PE license in. It is not a 
full range license. It has to be in the discipline you're practicing in. I'm a civil engineer. I'm only a PE for civil, not mechanical. Principles of practice of engineering exam, second part after the fundamentals exam. Fundamentals engineering exam is your first step. It's designed for recent graduates who are close to finishing a degree and from an EAC ABET accredited program. Now, the EAC Engineering Accreditation Council, American Board of Engine Technologies, they review each school, each program in each school can be accredited or not accredited. So some years they can fall out of accreditation. So if you're currently in college, you have to make sure that when you graduate, your program is accredited. That's very helpful. Fundamentals exam is a broad range exam of your expertise, your knowledge as soon as you come out of school. It's roughly, most states are all different, but on average it's about 110 questions. It takes about six hours to get through this exam. So you have plenty of time for the 110 questions. Also contains some basics, but the exam is over five hours long. There is a break because they're gonna give you a chance to have lunch. After five hours exam, you don't take it straight in one shot. There are some rules and regulations that go with this exam, but I'll get that to that further back. Uh, the principles of practice exam, the second part comes four years later after your experience level has been built up. Uh, design the test for a minimum level of competency in a particular engineering discipline. That's what the word particular, it doesn't give you full range view on other subjects. You have four years of work experience. Now, you can get to three years worth of work experience with a master's degree. It counts as a, one of the years of experience. So a graduate degree counts as a year of experience. There are currently 16 disciplines that you can sign up for agriculture, biological, architectural, and dot, 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 it goes on and on. You have to look at the website. It'll be listed later where you can look it up, how many different disciplines there are. Mechanical, electrical, civil, they're all in there. Once you've done your four years of qualifying work experience, after you pass the first exam, you then qualify for the PE you need to demonstrate it and you have to have actual documentation from the people you're working for that what you've done for the last four years qualifies as acceptable work to register for the PE exam, the second part. This exam includes 80 questions. You don't have to actually answer them all because they are to your particular area of knowledge. You get to choose from the exam questions, the things that you are working toward. Um, the exam is basically nine hours, includes non-disclosure agreement. There's a reason for that, I'll show you why in a minute. Uh, the tutorial for how to take the exam, eight hours worth of exam time with a 15 minute break in the middle. This is the website, the NCESS org exams examinee guide. It lists all the information you're gonna to need to take the test. These where all the details come in for what you can do. I put up two bullets. Pay careful attention to the items allowed in the testing room. Leave your phone in your car. Don't even think about taking it into the exam room. And my favorite is pay extra attention, because this one trips up more people than I can count, to which calculators are allowed in the testing room. If you have a particular model calculator you like and it's not on the list, don't take it in there. They're not gonna let you bring it in. There's a reason for this bullet. A few years back, they found a guy who had put a scanner, built it into the bottom of his calculator and brought it into the exam room so he could scan the questions on the test. Uh, of course, they were very unhappy with this individual and he was banned from ever taking the test forever. They have zero tolerance on this test. Now, why should you want to become PE? First and foremost, income. Let's be real. 
money. Um, PEs typically earn more. This is true. We have a national survey. Professional engineers puts out an annual uh, salary survey. You can see what PEs and non-PEs make on average per state. They break it down. It's very extensive. You get more promotional opportunities. This is all documented through the survey. And the next thing is, as an entrepreneur, if you want to go in business for yourself, having a PE license is almost a requirement in every state to practice engineering. So this allows you to sell your services, your talent, to the general public on your own, go into business for yourself. Without a PE license, most areas, you can't do this, right? You can work for somebody who has a PE as an outside firm because that's basically what they're doing. They run the firm, that's their firm. But if you want to own the firm yourself and be in charge of it, you have to be the one with the PE. You cannot have a business and hire PEs to work for you. That will not work. You are the head of the business. You have to be the one with the PE because you're responsible. Uh, of course, there's prestige. Having a PE behind your name, you get to say, hey, I'm a PE. Uh, flexibility, I think this is the one that I like the most. Many opportunities with government agencies and consultants require PE. It's literally written into their contracts. So when you're on the staff and you have several PEs in your organization working for you, the government will say, I need your business to have X number of PEs on this project or you can't get the contract. So this is all, so there are companies looking to put PEs on their staff for that very reason. Service, my skill and knowledge shall be given without reservation for the public good. This is right out of the PE guide, word for word. You notice it says public good, not your employer's good. When you're a PE, you work for the public. No matter what company, I work for General Motors, but as a PE, my first role and responsibility is the public. Integrity. This is also straight word for word out of the manual. Practice integrity and fair dealing, tolerance, respect, to uphold <clears throat> devotion to the standards and dignity of my profession. Okay. That's one of the code words, sentences we live by. Your career opportunities will be greater. Yes, they will because you'll see it on your resume. Yours will sift to the top. It's a good thing to have on a resume. It makes you more noticeable, more attractive to people who are hiring. Recognition within your organization. Yes, this does happen. Okay, maintaining your licensure. Depending on which state you are licensed, there may be up to 30 hours of continuing education every two years. This is an ongoing learning experience as a PE. It's a lifetime commitment to learning and keeping your learning up. National Society of Professional Ears publications come from publications and member directories. This is handy because you get the national spread of all the PEs in other states. It becomes a network of business, people that you can count on and rely on and make contacts with. And on your local level, you get to be involved in the Math Counts program at the state level for STEM activities. And of course, meetings and seminars are at the chapter level where we get into what's going on in your state, um, whatever's going on, especially like in Flint, there was the Flint water crisis. A lot of you heard about it. A lot of the PEs, I was gone by Flint at that time, but a lot of the PEs who were still there were involved with what's going on, how are we going to fix it, and what are the problems, what issues need to be addressed. They were very active in helping to start clean up the Flint water problem. So, outlines of principles of standard care. This was mentioned earlier. This first bullet is straight out of the code again. Let you just read it. But the thing here is injurious or financial damaging events. Okay. I'm most interested in making sure I do not do something or allow somebody else to do something that would be injurious or financially damaging by their actions. So I have to look out what other people are doing, not just me. Order the engineer. This is a special benefit to PEs as well. Association for Graduate Professional Engineers, the U.S. emphasizes pride and responsibility in engineering. This is an extra step up over just the general PE. You know, you're actually taking it to the next level. The 
Order of the Engineer came out of a group of individuals who witnessed and were responsible for a bridge collapse that killed several workers during the construction phase. And you can spot a person who has taken the Order of the Engineer oath because they also wear a steel ring on their working hand, small finger. Uh, the original rings were made out of the iron from the bridge itself that collapsed. And so they wore that as a reminder that what happens when they don't do the, people don't do their job correctly, people die. So this is a special recognition to the people who say, to the engineers who are all, not only PEs, who are really looking out for the public interest. In my summary for this, not the easiest thing you'll ever do. Okay? There's no doubt about it. Your resume will stand out. It will give you additional career opportunities. I guarantee it. Increased earning potential, yes. Um, on average, you will probably, right now, I think it's almost $16,000 on average per year, the difference between a PE and a non-PE after about a mid-year experience, about 20 years of experience, there's about $16,000 differential right now. And that's nationwide, all disciplines. Um, but you belong to a licensed organization. This is, this is a national organization. Your license and your fellow engineers will understand what your license means, but you definitely have to earn the public trust. This is one of the big items. When you go in and you speak and you say, I'm a PE, you become, earn the public trust, you become expert witness in a court of law. There are a lot of things that can happen to you with a PE license. So definitely on the public benefits side of this. So basically that's my short and sweet version of what is a PE. And this means questions. First question. My preparation for the test, the first one, the fundamental exam, you can't prep for it. Uh, it's, it's a, they let you bring in as much as you want as far as books go. It's basically, did you learn anything while you were in college? Exam. Basic fundamentals of engineering is all you need. I, I've watched guys bring in a red rider wagon full of books. Okay, I took in maybe six. A good handbook, uh, a good math book, good physics book, and whatever discipline you're going in, if it's mechanical or electrical, some basic handbook of mechanical or electrical engineering so you can look up things, pretty much all you need. Uh, did you pay, were you awake for the last four years while you were in college? Is <laughs> probably the biggest one. Did you graduate from college? then you probably can pass the fundamentals exam the first time. It's not that difficult of an exam to pass unless you just weren't paying attention. Um, so it's, it's very easy to do. Hmm? So I'm going to go ahead and add on that one then. Go ahead. So that's the, that's your, your smart side. Um, I'm just be real with you. Um, I was one of those ones that needed uh, additional books, additional studying. Um, I came from A&T, Aggie Pride, um, loved it. But the EIT, engineering training, um, and fundamentals of engineering, that exam was not easy for me. Test taking in general has not been easy for me. So uh, I, didn't, I wasn't the one and done test taker. We, we do have some of those, and that's why he got 20 patents. <laughs> that's not me. But I will tell you, um, you need to make sure while you are in college, your professors, if they're not telling you and leaning you guys on, you know, taking the EIT or if they're saying, hey, this isn't mandatory because some schools will say it's mandatory for you to graduate, but some will say it's optional. Don't use the optional. You need to go ahead and take it because I had to learn the hard way once I got into my career and then study on my own outside of the environment that I actually could have been learning in. So um, I was one of those that kind of, you know, swept it to the side. I don't need that. I'm an engineer. I don't need a PE. You know, I don't need all of that but I hurt in the end um, to get to where I needed to go. It took a little longer than it should have. And so I will say, I will emphasize, if it is an optional um, aspect or class for you for prep classes, take it anyway, because I'm telling you, you are going to benefit from that, having it out of the way and under your belt before you continue on into the private sector or the military. The um, 
President Oakland University in Michigan, the Pontiac area, is a hardcore PE. And so he runs the engineering program, no holds barred. You don't pass the fundamental exam, you don't graduate. So you're gonna take it before you graduate, period, or you're not getting out of here. Um, so th at that university, you have no choice. <laughs> uh, so everybody he graduates passes the fundamentals, or he says, basically, you didn't learn anything while you were here, so there's no reason to give me you a degree. So you better think about that if you ever plan going to Oakley University in Michigan. Um, he's the only one who's that hardcore that I know of. Uh, but most of the schools don't emphasize it while you're in college. They don't talk about it while they're in college. Uh, however, if you're going to go into government, military or civilian job, you're going to require it to move up in an organization. If you want an example, I'll take myself as an example. I got the PE after I applied for a job for the city of Detroit. I was looking for some work. And when I applied, I did not have my PE license yet. But when the first day I started work, I did have my PE license. So three weeks later, they promoted me two levels. Just because I had a PE versus not a PE, three weeks into the job, I got a double promotion. Everybody was very trying to figure out how come I got two promotions in three weeks. And when they, it was going to take two years to get that, those two promotions, I did it in three weeks. And everybody said, how do you do that? Because who does he know? What has he got on somebody? It was simply because I had a PE that was legitimate, and I just went back and pre-processed it. But it just goes to show you that even starting out your first job, having it or not having it, could be a level or two hiring bump day one. And that will last you the rest of your life. Sure. You also have to have be working under someone who has a PE. If, if the management above you has no PE and you want to get one, you need to be looking for a transfer. Because the requirement is you have to work under another PE to apply for the exam. So you need to really think about it. If that's your career, you need to be thinking about a career move. And if you are civilian, not interested in military, I work with Naval Facilities Engineering Command, NAFAC, and that's exactly what we do. We bring the civilians in, everybody, we work together. It's predominantly a civilian sector with military. We are the minority in that sector, but it's all about, you can find easily find someone that you would work under. We actually pay for you to take your exam. And then if you passed, you get reimbursed for the um, study materials and all that stuff that you took to do it. So there's plenty of um, aspects that will allow you to do that. So yes, I'm definitely recruiting for both civilian and military side for NAFAC. See, exactly, so yeah, so there's opportunities there. Um, but I would definitely tell you, if you're in the field and it is with engineering, go ahead and get that PE, might as well. Because I know a lot of my peers, even coming out, they were saying they were mechanical or electrical, so they didn't really need it. You're right, you don't need it maybe for what your job's going to be. But again, if you want that additional money or that instant credibility or a seat at the table, all of that stuff, when they see that PE behind your name, it makes a difference. And I don't want you guys thinking you have to be a brain. Again, I haven't worked on actual drawings since school. And so, I mean, that's, you don't need to know how many years that's been. But that's been some years. <laughs> but that license is what helped me become you know, more well-rounded and being able to be um, the leader in the management aspect that your companies and the businesses and the military that is looking for. So again, don't freak yourself out if you don't pass the FE the first, second, third time. Don't freak yourself out if you don't pass the PE. It's going to happen. It's just you got to give it time and you got to be able to make your own story. And so my story is it took me a while for both of those until I made it. But now that I made it, I got all the perks that he showed you, the promotion, the money, all that stuff is wrapped into it and it makes you a better person. I'm well, because I started getting a little bitter. I was like, you know, I don't need this, screw this. So, you know, forget it. I got my engineering degree, that's all I need. But I will tell you in the end, again, always, always pursue that next step, that next level that's gonna make you be more competitive than your peers. Yes, it is not a hands-on, it is not, 
depending on what state you're in, is currently written, or most of it can be also done electronically in the testing centers that they're now setting up. In a few more years, they're kind of writing the conversion between a written exam and a an internet a computerized exam. And so some of the states are completely computerized now. Some are still back on handwritten. And it depends on what state you're from. Now, by the time you get, if you skip four years out from now, you're looking at taking the PE, it'll probably all be on computer by then. Yes. I use my public good because when I see a engineering issue that could be a potential danger to the public, even if I'm not my part that I'm responsible for working on right then, I still step up and say something about it. I said, hey, I don't think that's safe and I don't think we should do that. I think we need to make the following modifications to make that safe. And it doesn't have to be my part that I'm working on. If I see it in somebody else's part, I step up and say, I don't think it's safe. And, and I say, why? And if, if that person brushes me off, I go to his manager. And if his manager brushes me off, I go to the chief engineer. But I don't let it rest until somebody high enough up makes a decision on it that resolves my issue with it. Well, the PE piece brings the value to the company because I know that when it leaves my desk, it's going to be safe for use. Okay. If you want a fascist way to drain money from the company, get sued in the court of law for negligence. Okay. So if you're bringing value, it's, you don't want to be there. And what you want to be is the products go out the door, they're safe to use, I'm not, I'm not going to court. I've never been to court to defend any of my parts. Okay. And that's the way I'm going to keep it. <laughs> so I'll say for me, for the public good aspect, right now I'm the public works officer at Naval Air Station Oceana. And so what that means is that me, my team, and I, we are responsible for all of the installation facilities and the infrastructure and maintaining it and making sure it's good to go. So the public good is basically not only taking care of you all and making sure the mission is ready and the facilities are sustainable so our guys can train to go out and do fight the war fighting mission, but also your taxpayer dollars. A lot of projects that we get, military construction, millions of dollars, we have to make sure and sit at the table and say, hey, is this what we're asking for to make sure this platform for this, um, this aircraft is what we need to go forward. And so having those conversations, being in to talk to contractors and go over bids and all of that, that's also helpful as far as doing good for the public. And then again, making sure that we are supporting the mission at hand with the right um, facilities, the right infrastructure in place. Um, your second part of the question about the value, um, again, having that PE, it's almost similar to us having a warfare pin. Um, when we walk around in the military, you always look and see if someone has a, a warfare pin on their chest. It's instant credibility. So again, I may not know specifically chemical engineering or I may not know mechanical, but my background is civil, but they know I'm a civil professional engineer. So then they're gonna listen a little, a little more or you know, sit up a little straighter just because it's okay, okay, she comes to the table with a little bit. So I think um, having that PE again is more reputation and the perception that, okay, you have someone that is competent, understands what they're doing and they know at least where to go if they need further support. And in her business on the military side, things are dangerous enough without facilities or other structures or other issues. Your job is difficult enough. It doesn't need to be complicated by structural facilities collapsing on your troops in the field. Come on, you know, they have enough to deal with uh, over there. So it's important from a safety aspect, not only just for the public, but also for the workers involved. Um, I don't want to have structural issue. I work for General Motors. I don't want to have a structural issue on the assembly line. I've actually done some design work for the assembly line people and not specifically on cars. Oh, you can't put that up in the facility. That'll collapse. That's going to cause this following issue. And they looked at it. They said, never mind. We're not going to make that change. And so it, it, it jumps to several areas. I, I'm just not the cars that I work on, but the facilities where the guys who assemble them, you know, their safety is important to me as well. And I spotted something that was dangerous and I spoke up and they didn't do it. And it would have been difficult. 
You're listening to Licensure as a Professional Engineer, its value and the steps to take, a professional development seminar, featuring Eric Fonville and Commander Lakiva Gunderson, brought to you by the Global Catalyst for Change, the Bayes STEM Global Competitiveness Conference, where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Put your master's hand to your PE because it's education. Education will help you get your PE. PE will not help you get your education. Okay. And that's that's the easiest way to put it. Um, What you've learned, it dissipates over time. So the sooner you finish your master's, the sooner it's better. The things you're going to learn for your PE come from experience after college in the field. So those experiences will come as part of work experience, not part of education experience. So put the master's in front of the PE. If I had to choose, master's PE. And while you're doing that master's anyway, by the time you graduate, you're going to be ready to take the PE. So that's why I'm saying and that master's degree will count a year toward that four years worth of experience you have to have automatically. You get a you get a yeah. year one year credit for that. Without that, that's from the school, that not under someone like the four years currently. You get the master's degree now; it's only three years. So you get that year back. And does it have to be your direct supervisor as a PE, or like like you might have? If the person above your supervisor is a PE, that's okay. And you can use your years before you've had the PE as well. So a lot of people get confused on it has to be four years consecutively or before and then after. It's You can get your PE and then still be working under someone, or you can already be in a field where you're working under that person and they're going to, your application has to show everything that you did uh, within that time frame. That's the biggest right. thing that they're looking for. So, so if you're eight years out of graduation and only four of it is under a licensed PE, that's and the four of it was the first three years and the one last year, that's mm-hmm. still four years. So it all counts. It's not, it doesn't have to be continued. Yes, in the back. Here's the piece going forward at this point in your careers. Look at where the work going forward is. It's aerospace, it's, it's spacecraft, it's electronics, it's all these fields. These are where the job market's going to be going forward. So here in a STEM field, it is most important to pick a STEM field because that's where half the jobs are going to be. You can see in the ads, in the news all the time, oh, America needs another 250,000 engineers. America's 1.2 million engineers short of where we need to be 10 years from now. Pick up any news headline. If you wonder where there's going to be a job opportunity, you need to look at where there's going to be a million job shortage in 10 years. And that's basically right in engineering, science, technology fields. Sure. Do you, do you have your degree now? Uh, I graduated next year. Oh, so yeah, you need to talk to mom, though, too. Because <laughs> I was going to say, it depends on, too, your credits of whatever major it is. It's going to help you. Those first two years, you all know you're all doing usually more of the general same thing. So then, but yeah, you probably have to see how much would actually be able to transfer. And then if you didn't want to start from ground zero from that aspect. You probably have the electives out of the way already for the engineering. <laughs> um, it's from, from the, all the fundamental classes to the engineering degree is basically just, just shy of uh, under a couple of years worth of credits, less about half um, are tri- strictly engineering. So if you're in year three, you have the opportunity to say, I'm not going to lose that much ground right now. And you can start crafting your way and moving toward a more science-backed uh, degree. But if you're thinking about switching and going to more STEM-related field, do it. Uh, my question is, um, what would be the biggest uh, pitfall that you would face in your work? Lack of responsibility. I can't say it any other way. Um, when you're a PE, you're responsible. I feel it internally. I'm responsible for it, even if it's not mine. Uh, when other people say, well, that's so-and-so's responsibility to handle that. 
I saw the problem, but that's his problem to go handle. That's not how a PE thinks. PE sees a problem, it becomes their problem to handle. You go see that person, if they don't handle it, you take it up a level. But you don't ever throw it over the wall and say, ah, that's not mine to deal with. And I think that's the difference is the responsibility side of it. Very good? Okay. I was wondering if there were uh, PE or uh, FE opportunities for not traditional engineering majors, like chemical systems engineering. Oh, every field. When you go to NCESS, the guide, it, there's, there's 16 fields, I think, mm -hmm. and chemical, and you know, there's bio, not only chemical, there's biochemical. Uh, so it, 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 there's several areas uh, that you can get into. Uh, the, the traditional mechanical, electrical are only two. Civil, the big one, is three, and that leads 12 more. Naval architecture is one of them. Aerospace is one of them. Chemical is one of them. I'm thinking, um, was it oil? Petroleum is one of them. Bio, biomedical and biochemical. So you can go either way. Yes. Um, I'm a third year also. I have a question. How do you feel about um, waiting until grad school to pursue chemical engineering? Because if I was told that you don't necessarily have to be a chemical engineer, undergrad major, to pursue chemical engineering as um, a grad student. <laughs> Mm, college advice. Oh, I don't give advice. <laughs> um, have you taken some chemical engineering classes? No, I'm a chemistry major. Well, that's good. Well, that's fine. Yeah, it's basically all the same stuff. So, okay, that's that's. The, I didn't realize you were that were closely aligned. Uh, so, chemical engineering, not a problem. Uh, take it. But if you're going from chemistry bachelor's to chemistry engineering master's, I don't see a problem with that. I would say trying to get some work in chemical and chemical engineering. Okay. So not just those four work. Summer job. Yeah, so that you understand what you're getting into. And, um, so my question for the panel, um, can you talk about the value of engineer record and that idea of engineer record? You touched on that a little bit earlier. Um, but it really goes to why PE is important and, and what being an engineer record is all about. One of the reasons PE is important. Lana, one first. So for NASAC, um, the group that we are in, we invest a lot of, um, we have the capital improvements section has a whole bunch of professional engineers in general. Um, but AEs, architectural engineer design firms, all of those are responsible for making sure that, you know, you have all the drawings in place before they're going out to be constructed and renovated, all of those. That engineer of record, we have them too, but you are the one that's signing off saying, all of this is legit. This is good to go. If there is an issue, when there is a problem out in the field and construction is actually starting, you're also the group that they come back to and talk to them and say, hey, from these drawings, this is what you have told us. And so you need to figure out why this isn't working the way it is out in the field. So being able to relate and understand what's on that drawing and then putting it out there in the field, you have to be, you are ultimately responsible and accountable on making sure that what was actually given to that customer or that contractor was actually um, what was expected to come up and be built accordingly. Yeah. The other thing with your record, and I always come back to this because I think it was the most shocking example of what happens when you go around the engineer of record, is the space shuttle explosion. The engineer of record refused to sign off on launching that, and the management overrode them and launched it, and it blew up. And so that person stood up and told management no, it's not safe to do this. And it's at the engineering record, he refused to sign. And when you super, when you circumvent the engineering record on a project and go around them, and then you have a disaster like that one, and I mean, everybody recognized that one as a major disaster. Um, but it goes to show you that there was a person that stood up and said no, and 
that person was not listened to. And we all know what the result of that was. So that engineer of record is supposed to do what he did, stand up and say no. And if something is fell apart, something collapsed, that person is the person you go to and said, why? And that person has to go find out why, what went wrong. I'm sorry, I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, from an engineering ethics perspective, what documentation of um, proof is acceptable? Like, so you say you refuse, and me just saying, well, I refuse to sign it, is that enough to stand up in the, in the case? Uh, as a PE, you're required to sign the document right. and put your stamp on it. Right. Okay. So when you do that, you have put your signature and your stamp on a document that says, I agree with what the contents are. If you don't have a stamp on it, don't have a signature on it, there's your proof that you didn't touch it. Okay. So that's I mean, it was, that you, you, the proof is in the fact that you sign it and stamp the document. Okay. There's, that makes it legal. Okay. You just can't sign it, you have to sign it and stamp it. So you have two pieces of identification on that document that says it's legit. There's a question in the back. Yes. So being from a different country, uh, it's hard to get into the defense and aerospace, like for engineering. Yes. Uh, how much leverage does PE give uh, to move into those industries, especially from the emergence industry? Military question. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I was like, that's yours. <laughs> well, it was aerospace, and you're, and you're not an aero. So oh. I, uh, just to give a background, so I did my bachelor's in aeronautical engineering, but it's back from India. Yeah. Uh, coming here, I did my master's initially with aeroastronautics, but I had to switch it because the job opportunities did not allow me because of the security clearances. Yeah. So how much leverage can you give, especially when you want to still focus in those industries, like aerospace and like defense? But like, does it open more opportunities? Yes, it will. Because the mere fact that to get the PE, you had to work under somebody else for four years, gives it the legitimacy that that person, those persons, you have to get documents from three or four licensed PEs just to take the exam. So you need more than one person's input to your competency. So I think it's a, it's a helpful to do that. And you have your your bachelor's from a different country, but you just said you had a master's. You're fine. You're, I mean, honestly, yeah, they see the PE. You're just as a viable candidate as the next person on there. It's just more of what's your relevant experience that shows that you are qualified. So the relevant experience, so I have been working for the last four years now, uh, and it's more in consumer industry, but it's more mechanical. So right. still mechanical. Does that still be like? Is it still valid when I like, switch? You need to. If you're trying to get your mechanical PE, but yeah. not for okay. not for aero. Okay. Yeah, you have to work under somebody in aero who has a PE as well. Yes, yes. Decide first. Hi, I'm a graduating senior in civil engineering, and I would like to go to grad school get my PhD. But I've worked in construction for three years, and I was wondering if it's really valuable to get a PhD or if you have to choose, which one would you choose? Back to educational. Yeah. Back back to advice again. Um, uh, yes, they both take the same amount of time. A PhD especially female, very, very marketable, very desirable to have. If I had to choose between a PhD and a PE first, I would choose a PhD first. I always say get your education first uh, because that's the thing that's gonna carry you forward through the PE. This question over here then you. So I'll start just because I kind of went your path. I started out at Western Carolina on an academic track scholarship stayed there for two years because they did not have engineering. So I was able to do the, the two years of trying to get it ready pre-engineering. Then I transferred to A&T and then you transfer, you also look into scholarships and grants. I did all of that research, but upfront and you let them know, hey, this is why I'm valuable. You go ahead and apply, they take you into the school and then that's when you can decide, okay, which field do I want? Civil, mechanical, where, where do I wanna be? From there, you have A&T and then you have 
either interns. I did uh, Department of Transportation in Greensboro when I was there. They have opportunities everywhere for you to get the private sector, or you will have recruiters come and talk to you and say, hey, I can pay the rest of your college for four more years or whatever to get your degree, and then you come work for us for four years and you're good to go. You can either go out and leave and go back to the private sector and then you're that much more competitive with your peers because of the leadership opportunities and all that that you have, or you stay with us and stay in the civil engineer corps and you become one of my many um, minorities that are making the top ranks within uh, the civil engineer corps. That was my pro to get you on. <laughs> we pay for your masters. That was the point of me bringing that up. We pay for She's you to and get your master's degree. <laughs> I do, I do. I will make sure I get that for you before we leave. And I can have you fill out one of our uh, computers to get you on. Definitely. Take the hint. I know. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, the thing with pre-engineering, they're looking at the, for the four years ABED accredited college degree. Now, that's graduating from an ABED college program. You don't have to spend all your four years in an ABED college accredited program. You just have to graduate from one. Okay. That's not the same thing as being in one for four years, but you do need a degree from an ABED college undergrad. Now, you could go one year and get that, so, you know, and then move on to your next degree. Uh, once you, if you go for your master's degree and, and the master's degree is ABED accredited, that counts even if the undergrad isn't. So, but you have to have an ABED accredited graduation from college, bachelor's or master's. Okay, so you, you can work it multiple ways to work that system. You had a question. They only let you have one. Uh, they won't give you two for a PhD. I. I I see that one all the time, and you know they've kind of written that one in, and it's and it's per state, okay, but reading through all the states is basically the same language. So there's if you do it down in Arizona, they both count, but in Michigan you only get one, in Arizona you get both. Almost every state is one. They give you one year of credit for graduate school. Speaking of states, um, if you're at different schools, universities from your home. Um, another advantage with the PE, you can get reciprocity and you're able to go to multiple states and apply, hey, I know I want to live back in North Carolina when I'm done, but I got my PE in Virginia. You have that opportunity. So don't feel like you, you're limited as well. If I get it, I got I to gotta study here. I got to stay in this state in order to do it. You do get that alternative. Most states will take reciprocity as an application to other states. There are a few states like California and civil that will not because of the earthquake issues. Um, but you know, it depends on what field you're in, what state you're looking at. There are a lot of states that just you apply, you pay the, the uh, fees, and they will give you a license to practice in that state as well. Now you have to watch the educational continuation requirements between the two states because the one you started with may have 12 hours one with the reciprocity might have 30 hours, you're gonna to have to do 30 hours to keep them both, okay? So you know, just be mindful of that. But it's a career, long-term career activity. It's gonna to be to you basically retire. You just have to decide you know, how to keep track of your own, how many states you wanna be in, how much work it's gonna take. Well, um, the nice thing about the Society of Professional Engineers is they have a directory. And you can join as a student member of NSPE, which will give you access to the directory of professional engineers nationwide. And therefore, you can pull, pick a state, pick a city, pull up a list, sort, hit enter, and go, all these people are PEs and they work within five miles of where I am. Okay, their, their businesses, they'll give you their job locations and say, the following firms have the following PEs in them. Oh, I think I'll take my summer job over there. <laughs> and uh, so as a student, you can join as a student member and get access to the directory. And that's how you find you know, the question. How do you find them? That's the easiest way to, that I can think of to do it. 
from a state-to-state -state landscape perspective, are there any PE disciplines, like for example, Georgia, that you that are like more marketable for that state as opposed to another? Like if I'm, if I'm moving to a specific state. Well, I'm, I'm guessing if you go to Texas, uh, petroleum works really well. Right. If you go into California, I'm thinking earthquake works really well. Right. I'm guessing naval architecture in Idaho doesn't work real well, uh, <laughs> or Nebraska or Iowa. So it, it's kind of a, you, know, you just, yes, there are some advantages to certain PEs in certain states. Uh, but it, you just have to look at the companies that are working in those states firms that are working there, where they located, where they have offices there. And so it really doesn't matter um, that, that. And even if you're not licensed in a particular state, let's say you're, you're a civil engineer in Michigan, okay, and you want to go to where you station use North Carolina, I can still work for her as a PE. She just has to sign the document. She can work for me in Michigan. I just have to sign the document. So your job opportunities are not cut off. You just can't sign unless you have licensure in that state. You can still work for somebody who's a PE. They know you're a PE in another state. It's not gonna take them long to say, sure, I'll take them. Uh, it doesn't limit your opportunities not to have that license in that state. You just can't sign in that state. Yes, every two years, it's state dependent as well. Some states are down to 12. Well, there's, there's a continuing education through different companies put on different things. There's seminars, there are review projects. Why did this bridge collapse? Why did this hotel fail? Why did this uh, structure fail? Why did this place flood? And there'll be still be a seminar on it or something like this. This is a continuing education. Uh, so there are a lot of activities that engineers put on because they know there's there's a need for continuing education. It's a requirement. So the society puts out a whole directory of continuing education classes in all the different states for you to take. And you just open it up and say, oh, look, I can take this class here. Oh, that's kind of interesting. I'll take that one. That's worth four hours. Um, so basically, those are all kind of learning lesson type seminar events where you come and you find out what happened. And now you have a continuing education credit to go with that. Yes. I will tell you it was definitely small when I came in. And like you said, this is great. It's still small. Do not get discouraged. I think that's the biggest thing because again, not only being the female in the group, in the room when it's majority males, um, but then the pressure where you feel like, okay, I'm not measuring up or I'm not where I need to be. Don't let that discourage you. I would say persistence is key. Um, no matter how well you do, you don't have to make all A's. You don't have to make all A's in one B. Um, everybody, if you put your, your mind to it, what you want, you are able to accomplish that. So I would say stay strong, start lifting those up. Even, you know, your sisters and everything that are middle school on up, you got to start then. So you start being that advocate as the college personnel that you are. And this is for both females and males, because you as my brothers, I expect you guys to be lifting us up and saying, hey, come and join us. This is not intimidating. This is not that big of a deal. And you guys have seen each other, you know, I mean, it's math, math. It's a, it's a class. Some people like calculus, some don't. Some people like differential equations, some don't. I didn't like either one, but <laughs> I ended up passing over it. You know, I passed it because I was still able to continue on. And you find that network, you find that that peer, that mentor, whatever it is. But I would say my biggest thing is be persistent and do not give up because you're going to have those days and those semesters where you're like, this is for the birds. I am not trying to do it, but it, it pays off in the end. It truly does. And it's, it's funny that I, I'm even here. And so I'm actually glad you brought that because the PE for me was a struggle in general. And so I was like, God has a sense of humor because my... <laughs> Recruitment buddies asked me that I want to come and talk on the panel about it and, you know, went back, talked to my mom and I was like, you would not believe the stuff I went through to get this PE. You guys would not imagine. I mean, I told uh, Mr. Fonville they should have named the PE after me. That's how many times <laughs> I felt like I had been there. So when he was telling y'all about the eight hours for that exam, absolutely. And you just start seeing the same people like, oh, hey, you here too. <laughs> so, 
Or Ms. Van would examine and knows you by first I'm name. Wrong, I'm <laughs> but so. to continue the conversation about women, um, I had dinner with a young woman who's a graduate candidate PhD program at the university a few months back. And one of the people at this dinner was one of the graduates. Um, she's a few years behind me. And as a PE, she's got two businesses. She's got 100-something employees right now. And it's all because she has a PE, that she's running two companies. Right? She owns two companies. And so if you're looking at some career development, some entrepreneurship as a woman, a PE will let you own the company. I mean, how much nicer is that? <laughs> you know, why would you want to work when you can own the whole company? Matter of fact, just own two. Why don't you just get three companies and be done with it? <laughs> Small business, women owned, and oh. all the males are answering to you. I mean, I'm good with it, and I'm a commander. So. <laughs> but you, 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 and there are a lot of contracts that say uh, women-owned businesses, women-minority businesses, um, you know, those type of things. And so, yes, and and of course, she's cleaning up because she's got these two engineering companies that she owns, and they say, "Well, yeah, I need a minority business, or I need a women-owned business. How about both? Check, check." <laughs> And you know, she's, the, the contracts come and they say, well, I have to give ex-minority contracts or ex-women contracts. And she says, I can take this one and this one and this one and these three as well. And so she's cleaning up on multiple fronts because of that. So yes, women, it's important for women to get a PE, especially if you want to run the business yourself, but also just think about the, how it's going to help you if you don't want to have a business, how it's going to help you in the workforce. When you open your mouth in a room and there are a bunch of guys and you're the one with the PE, okay, you just became the expert in the room. So what you have to say is now important. Just to put it in perspective, so I am in the Navy, but I can only speak to Civil Engineer Corps. Um, so I will tell you right now, we average about 2,100, 2,200 officers in the Civil Engineer Corps. Of that, right now, we have one black captain who's a male. We have five or six black commanders who are male and female. But of those five and six, I'm that one female. So 2,200, still not as big for big Navy, but 2,200 in the Civil Engineer Corps alone, but the senior leaders that I see are mainly male, not minorities, and then there's just one female commander at this time. So that just puts things in perspective when you look at it as far as why it's so important to get us into the STEM field. So again, just think of that when you want to quit. Just be like, no, I can't do it. I got to help them out. Okay. Um, just have a few more minutes to wrap up here. We're still good for about 10 minutes. Any last minute questions? You guys know how many hours you're supposed to study? For the PE, have you heard that before? That's a good one. Yes. So the blue book, is it still blue like the Lindbergh or Lindenberg book? It's supposed to be over 320 hours to study for that exam. And when they say that, that is no joke. That's been like hardcore doing problems over and over and over again, 320 hours. So it is a huge sacrifice. So you got to be ready. When you are saying, I am ready to commit, you have to do that. And so I try to do that again, I told you, but I mean, with a family, kids, all that stuff. So while you got it, good. And it's just school. <laughs> Invest that time and do it. Because if you're looking at it from a time commitment, you have exactly eight hours to prove you have four years worth of experience and are competent. You don't have a lot of time to say, oh, now I'm going to start learning how to finish this exam the day before is not the time to start preparing. But if you're working toward a PE, you have four years worth of work experience there. There are example exams out there to take a look at to see what those are previous questions look like. You have four years, use the time wisely. Don't wait till the week before the exam to start looking through the problems. Because okay. then that's not the time to start. But you've had four years worth of work experience. Turn those work experiences into the problems on the exam. Take a look at that problem I just worked on at the job last week. 
is equivalent to one of the exams on the test. Oh, well, what did they ask on the test about what I did last week at work? Oh, they asked about this little piece that I didn't do at work. Let me see how that works on things. They will ask about it on the exam, though. But at least you, you look at your recent projects at the office and then look at what's on the exam and look at the parallels between them. There are a lot of the exam is basically based on work experience, so there should be a lot of tie-ins in your area. We all good? Okay, thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to Licensure as a Professional Engineer. It's value and the steps to take. A professional development seminar. Featuring Development Engineer for General Motors, Eric Fonville, and Operations Officer for the Naval Facilities Engineering Command, Mid-Atlantic, Commander Lakiva Gunderson. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.bea.org. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.